0: Hey guys, welcome to the Bitcoin Fortress podcast, helping you increase your financial freedom. This is episode 34, recorded on October 2nd, 2022. This podcast is for entertainment only and is not investing advice, so please, please, please do your own homework. So we have a lot to cover this week. Um... The title is global market crisis is this bitcoin's time to shine and so uh, as we take a spin through the market update and some of the news uh, that happened this week uh, i'll try to summarize it uh, at the end but uh, lots to talk about this week so jumping right in with the market update uh, the major u.s equity average finished the last session of q3 with another day of losses on friday adding to recent weakness, with investors still concerned about aggressive Federal Reserve policy. The Dow and S&P 500 touched new lows for 2022. Trading took place amid PCE price data that rose more than forecasters expected. Meanwhile, comments from a top Fed official continued to point to a hawkish stance from the central bank. While the Dow and the S&P 500 both set intraday 52-week lows during the session, the Nasdaq remained just off its previous 2022 low of 10,565.84, set back in June. Still, this represented the lowest closing price for the Nasdaq since July 2020. Ten of the 11 S&P sectors finished in the red during the last session of the quarter, in a signal to uh, what to expect in Q4. Federal Reserve Vice Chair Lael Brainerd signaled that the central bank was not planning to return to an accommodative stance in the near future. Uh, and uh, that's that. Looking ahead, investors hope to turn a page on a brutal September with the calendar turning to October. Looking to next week's highlights, there's a full roster of Federal Reserve Bank speakers. Although the general expectation is that the central bankers will reiterate the goal to not pull back prematurely on restrictive monetary policy and higher interest rates. Meanwhile, the economic calendar is headlined by the September jobs report at the end of the week. For stock pickers, the flurry of investor events include presentations by Sinclair Broadcast Group, Illumina, Duke Energy, Hasbro, and Box. Also watch for news from Google with a pixel hardware event on the calendar. Okay and then now moving into the news Uh, so the first item here pension fund this is from uh, CNBC this was published on September 29th again as usual I'll include all the links in the show notes to the articles that I'm going over pension fund panic led to Bank of England's emergency intervention here's what you need to know So the Bank of England launched a historic intervention to stabilize the UK economy, announcing a two-week purchase program for long dated bonds and delay its planned gilt sales until the end of October. The move came after a massive sell-off in UK government bonds known as gilts following the new government's fiscal policy announcements Friday. The policies included large swaths of unfunded tax cuts that have drawn global criticism and also saw the pound fall to an all-time low against the dollar on Monday. The decision was taken by the bank's financial policy committee, which is chiefly responsible for ensuring financial stability rather than its monetary policy committee. To prevent an, quote, unwarranted tightening of financing conditions and a reduction of the flow of credit to the real economy, unquote, end quote, the FPC said it would purchase gilts on, quote, whatever scale is necessary for a limited time. Central to the bank's extraordinary announcement was panic among pension funds with some of the bonds held within them losing around half their value in a matter of days. The plunge in some cases was so sharp that pension funds began receiving margin calls, a demand from brokers to increase equity in an account when its fall, value falls below the broker's required amount. Long dated bonds represent around two thirds of Britain's roughly one and a half billion, trillion pounds or $1.6 trillion in so-called liability-driven investment funds, which are largely leveraged and often use gilts as collateral to raise cash. These LDIs are owned by final salary pension plans, which risked falling into insolvency as the LDIs were forced to sell more gilts, in turn driving down prices and sending the value of their assets below that of their liabilities. Final salary or defined benefit pension plans are workplace pensions popular in the UK that provide a guaranteed annual income for life upon retirement based on the worker's final or average salary. In its emergency purchase of long-dated gilts, the Bank of England is setting out to support gilt prices and allow LDIs to manage the sale of these assets and the repricing of gilts in a more orderly fashion so as to avoid a market capitulation. The bank said it would commence buying up to £5 billion of long dated gilts, those with a maturity of more than 20 years, on the secondary market from Wednesday until October 14th. The expected losses, which could eventually take gilt prices back to where they were before the intervention but in a less chaotic manner, will be fully indemnified by the UK Treasury. The bank retained its target of £80 billion. In guilt sales per year and delayed Monday's commencement of guilt selling or quantitative tightening until the end of October. However, some economists believe this is unlikely. There is clearly a financial stability aspect to the BOE's decision, but also a funding one. The BOE likely won't say it explicitly, but the mini budget has added 62 billion pounds of guilt issuance this fiscal year, and the BOE Increasing its stock of gilts goes a long ways towards easing the guilt market's funding angst, explaining ING economists uh, Antoine Bouvet, James Smith, and Chris Turner in a note Wednesday. Once QT restarts, these fears will resurface. It would arguably be much better if the BOE committed to purchasing bonds for a longer period than the two weeks announced and to suspend QT for even longer. A central narrative emerging from the UK's precarious economic position is the apparent tension between a government loosening fiscal policy while the central bank tightens to try to contain sky-high inflation. Bringing back bond purchases in the name of market functioning is potentially justified. However, this policy action also raises the specter of monetary financing, which may add to market sensitivity and force a change of approach, says Robert Gilhooley, senior economist at AB Aberdeen. The Bank of England remains in a very tough spot. The motivation for twisting the yield curve may have some merit, but this reinforces the importance of near-term tightening to guard against accusations of fiscal dominance. Monetary financing refers to a central bank directly funding government spending, while fiscal dominance occurs when a central bank uses its monetary policy powers to support government assets, keeping interest rates low in order to reduce the cost of servicing foreign debt. The Treasury said Wednesday that it fully supports the Bank of England's course of action and reaffirmed Finance Minister Kwasi Kwarteng's commitment to the central bank's independence. Analysts are hoping that a further intervention from either Westminster or the City of London will help assuage the market's concerns, but until then, choppy waters are expected to persist. Dean Turner, Chief Eurozone and UK economist at UBS Global Wealth Management, said investors should watch the Bank of England's stance on interest rates in the coming days. The Monetary Policy Committee has so far not seen fit to intervene on interest rates before its next scheduled meeting on November 3rd, but Bank of England Chief Economist Hugh Pill has suggested that a fiscal event and plunge in sterling of this magnitude will necessitate a significant interest rate move. UBS does not expect the bank to budge on this, but is forecasting an interest rate hike of 75 basis points in the November meeting. But Turner said the risks are now skewed more towards 100 basis points. The market is now pricing a larger hike of between 125 and 150 basis points. The second thing to watch will be the changes to the government's position. We should in no doubt, there should be no doubt that the current market moves are the result of a fiscal event, not a monetary one. Monetary policy is trying to mop up after the milk was spilt, Turner said. The Treasury has promised a further update on the government's growth plan, including costing, on November 23rd, but Turner said, There is now every chance that this is moved forward, or at least prefaced with further announcements. If the Chancellor can convince investors, especially overseas ones, that his plans are credible, then the current volatility should subside. Anything less, and there will likely be more turbulence for the gilt market and the pound in the coming weeks, he said. Following the bank's market intervention, ING's economists expect a little more sterling stability but noted that market conditions remain febrile. Both the strong dollar and doubts about UK debt sustainability will will mean that Great Britain pound, the US dollar, will struggle to hold rallies in the 108 to 109 area, they said in Wednesday's note. This proved the case on Thursday morning as the pound fell 1% against the greenback to trade at around 1.078. Bethany Payne, global Bonds Portfolio Manager Janice Henderson said the intervention was only a sticking plaster on a much wider problem. She suggested the market would have benefited from the government blinking first in the face of the market backlash to its policy agenda rather than the central bank. With the Bank of England buying long-dated bonds and therefore showing willingness to restart quantitative easing when the markets become jittery, this should provide some comfort to investors that there is a guilt yield backstop, Payne said. Coupled with a relatively successful 30-year gilt syndication on Wednesday morning in which total interest was £30 billion versus £4.5 billion issued, Payne suggested there was some comfort to be had. However, <clears throat> raising the bank, interest rate, bank rate while also engaging in quantitative easing in the short run is an extraordinary policy quagmire to navigate and potentially speaks to a continuation of currency weakness and continued volatility. And I would say this last paragraph here is probably the most important which is that um, what they're doing is crazy um, tightening policy in one respect by raising rates but on the other hand um, buying bonds which is uh, you know and not not uh, selling bonds uh, selling bonds would be quantitative tightening quantitative easing is actually buying bonds printing money basically uh the two actually, they're doing the opposite. (laughs) So so this was a really, really important event. A lot of people in the Bitcoin community talking about this um, because this is kind of like uh, what everybody's been waiting for in terms of uh, that the, uh, you know, as they raise rates um, and there's so much debt uh, and credit and we're such a highly leveraged market globally that um you know at some point something quote breaks and so in this case it was um uh, you know the the pound started plummeting uh rates started spiking and and they had apparently the pension plans uh, don't just invest in bonds they they buy bonds and then they they leverage them and use the money for other things which is why they're getting you know margin called so uh, an extremely complicated and um, huge mess and uh, and so you know the market rallied after this announcement because there was a belief that uh, this is just the beginning of uh, central bank interventions um, uh, now that that things are starting to get uh, um, a bit more chaotic uh, with liquidity. so uh moving on the next article here's from reuters Um, this was uh, published on september 30th japan spent record of nearly 20 billion dollars on intervention to support the yen so this is another trouble spot Um, the yen has been getting extremely weak against the dollar and um, uh, basically because they've been buying unlimited amounts of bonds to keep their interest rates low uh, which You know, the relief valve of that is in the currency. So currency tends to depreciate when when you buy, uh, when central banks print money and buy bonds. Also, uh, obviously, inflationary uh, policy to print money. Uh, Although in Japan's case, they haven't really had much inflation for, for many years, but now they've got it. Uh, So Japan spent up to a record 2.8 trillion yen, 19.7 billion dollars intervening in the foreign exchange market last week to prop up the yen. Ministry of Finance data showed on Friday draining nearly 15 percent of funds that it had readily available for intervention. The figure was less than the 3.6 trillion yen estimated by Tokyo money market brokers for Japan's first dollar selling yen buying intervention in 24 years to stem the currency's sharp weakening. So another signpost of of, uh, of uh, sovereign debt, uh, unhealthiness, let's just call it. Okay, and then the next article here, also from Reuters, this was published on September 29th, Exclusive China State Banks Told to Stock Up for Yuan Intervention China's central bank has asked major state-owned banks to be prepared to sell dollars for the local unit in offshore markets as it steps up its efforts to stem the yuan's dissent, for sources with knowledge of the matter said. State banks were told to ask their offshore branches, including those based in Hong Kong, New York, and London, to review their holdings of offshore yuan and ensure U.S. dollar reserves are ready to be deployed. Three of the sources who declined to be identified told Reuters. The simultaneous selling of dollars and buying of yuan could put a floor to the Chinese currency, which has lost more than 11% to the dollar so far this year, and looks set for its biggest annual loss since 1994 when China unified its official and market rates. The scale of this round of dollar selling to defend the weakening yuan will be rather big, one of the sources said. The People's Bank of China did not immediately respond to a Reuters request for comment. China's offshore yuan immediately bounced about 200 pips after Reuters story before last trading at 7.1849 per dollar. While the yuan's depreciation has been gradual and in line with the decline in major currencies against a dollar buoyed by aggressive Federal Reserve monetary tightening, its decline to the weaker side of 7 per dollar has raised concerns about domestic sentiment and potential capital outflows. The offshore yuan moves in lockstep with the onshore unit but its trading volumes account for about 70 percent of all yuan fx trades globally dwarfing the volumes traded on the mainland chinese authorities have intervened in the past in the offshore yuan market to steer the yuan sources said the intervention plan involved using state lenders dollar reserves primarily but the total amount of dollar selling is yet to be determined as the yuan's movements are largely dependent on dollar moves and the Fed's tightening trajectory, the source said. China burnt through $1 trillion of its official FX reserves to prop up the currency after a one-off 2% devaluation in 2015 that roiled global financial markets. State banks, which actually usually act as the PBOC's agents in offshore markets, are scrambling to procure more dollars in offshore markets, one of the sources said. The People's Bank of China did not respond immediately when asked by Reuters about state banks stocking up on dollars. The latest proposal follows other steps authorities have taken to put a floor to the yuan through persistently selling firmer-than-expected midpoint fixings, verbal warnings, and holding off major monetary easing efforts. The PBOC has also rolled out policy measures this month, such as increasing the cost of shorting the currency by lowering the amount of foreign exchange financial institutions must hold as reserves, and reinstating risk reserve requirements on currencies purchased through forwards. Earlier this week, Chinese monetary authorities told local banks to revive a yuan fixing tool it abandoned two years ago as they sought to steer and defend the weakening currency. Uh, so again, <clears throat> another central bank intervention uh, looking to um, combat uh, what has been happening so far this year, which is the dollar has really strengthened a lot relative to all the all of the other global currencies and uh, is really kind of at the core of what's causing a lot of the, the the chaos and mayhem since you know everybody uses dollars for for trade it's the you know global reserve currency so uh so there is uh three central bank stories that sort of point to um brewing chaos and uh and um uh, kind of supports the uh, the case for uh, for Bitcoin in my mind so moving on uh, billionaire this is from uh, sorry from uh, Bitcoin.com news uh, this was posted on um, I think three days ago <clears throat> billionaire Stan Druckenmiller discusses cryptocurrency having a big role in a Renaissance people aren't going to trust central banks Billionaire investor Stanley Druckenmiller discussed the U.S. economy and cryptocurrency in an interview at the CNBC Delivering Alpha conference Wednesday. Druckenmiller is the chairman and CEO of Duquesne Family Office, LLC. He was previously a managing director at Soros Fund Management, where he had overall responsibility for funds with a peak asset value of $22 billion. According to Forbes' list of billionaires, his personal net worth is currently $6.4 billion. Referencing the news of the Bank of England buying 65 billion pounds of UK bonds he said if things get really bad and other central banks take similar action in the next two or three years I could see cryptocurrency having a big role in a renaissance because people just aren't going to trust the central banks. However he revealed that he does not own any bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies adding it's tough for me to own anything like that with central banks tightening. Focusing on the U.S. economy, Druckenmiller stressed that the Federal Reserve was taking unbelievable risks. He emphasized, we're taking this massive gamble where you threaten 40 years of credibility with inflation, and you're blowing up the wildest raging asset bubble I've ever seen. Asserting the Fed was wrong, they made a big mistake. If you remember, the Fed did $2 trillion in qe after vaccine confirmation the billionaire explained at the same time their partner in crime the administration was doing more fiscal stimulus again post vaccine after it was clear emergency measures weren't needed than we did in the entire great financial crisis Miller continued if you look at the fed what the fed did the radical gamble they took to get inflation up 30 basis points from 1.7 to 2 is to me sort of a risk reward bet and they lost he elaborated, and who really lost? Poor people in the United States ravaged by inflation, the middle class, and my guess is the U.S. economy for years to come because of the extent of the asset bubble in time and duration and breadth that it went on. Regarding whether there will be a recession in the U.S., Miller shared, let me just say this, I will be stunned if we don't have a recession in 23, don't know the timing, but certainly by the end of 23. In a subsequent interview with Bloomberg Wednesday, the Duquesne family office CEO reiterated that Federal Reserve policymakers have put themselves in the country and most importantly the people of the country in a terrible position. He warned that inflation is a killer, noting that to maximize employment over the longer term, you need to have stable prices. And so it's very interesting, you know, his point here um, is that, you know, the Fed has made a mistake, they've blown up this huge asset bubble uh it's uh it's come down some but it's certainly not it's certainly not uh down below the levels that it was at the beginning of all this and the um problem that the the federal Reserve will face uh is not if but when they pivot to loosening financial policy which which may be prompted um, by a crisis similar to what what has happened already in in great britain um before inflation is under control just means we're going to have you know um persistently high inflation now maybe it's not 2% it's not definitely not 2% maybe it's not 8% but maybe it's 4 or 5% um but that's uh, that's really not good as as he points out for uh for the country um so We shall see what happens with that, but uh, I think he's he's right that uh, people will probably gravitate away from central banks um, who you really can't trust and towards, I'm thinking Bitcoin, and although he's not buying it now, doesn't own any now, it's because it trades like a a risk on asset, and so um, that's part of the reason why it sold off so much this past year, although it's holding nicely. you know, around the eighteen to $20,000 range. Um, we'll see if there's more bad news to come, how much lower the stock market has to go, how much lower Bitcoin has to go. But Bitcoin certainly seems like it's stabilizing, uh, which is also part of my thesis on maybe now it's time is come to shine. Okay, the next article is from Bitcoin.com, and this is... Um, this was published uh, today trading like a Lehman moment credit Swiss Deutsche Bank suffer from distressed valuations as the bank's credit default insurance nears 2008 levels so here's another signpost for you during the first week in October the world economy continues to look bleak as energy and gas prices have reached record highs inflation in many countries is the highest in 40 years. Supply chains are fractured, equity markets have shed significant value and the tensions between West and Russia have elevated. Amid this nasty economy, two of the largest investment banks are floundering from distressed valuations. Market data shows that Credit Suisse Group and Deutsche Bank are trading at extremely low values, not seen since the 2008 financial crisis. At the end of August, Deutsche Bank analyzed the issues tethered to Credit Suisse, and the bank's analysts noted there was a $4.1 billion gap that needs to be filled in order to combat the financial institution's financial well-being. Furthermore, Credit Suisse's credit default insurance levels resemble the same CDS levels Lehman Brothers had just before the bank's bankruptcy. Credit Suisse CEO Ulrich Kerner recently explained that his company is facing a critical moment, and he stressed that the Swiss based financial institution has a strong capital base and liquidity position, to which many on Bitcoin Twitter have said famous last words. Not everyone agrees with Kerner, as a report from investing.com details that a large Investor that deals with Credit Suisse says the investment bank is a disaster and CDS is trading like a Lehman moment is about to hit. The managing partner at Comp Circle, Gurmit Chada, however, doesn't think a major market anomaly will reveal itself. Since two thousand eight, once a year Credit Suisse and once in two years Deutsche Bank is about to default, Chada tweeted, and every correction the speculation starts coming. In my little experience, a black swan event never announces itself. Chata's commentary has not put a cork in the speculation surrounding the two banks, and many believe a disaster is imminent. Credit Suisse is probably going bankrupt, the Twitter account Wall Street Silver told its 320,000 followers. The collapse in Credit Suisse's share price is of great concern, Wall Street Silver said. From 14.90 in February 2021 to 3.90 currently, and with PB 0.22, price book markets are saying it's insolvent and probably bust and then uh, somebody posted Credit Suisse the four key numbers 160 billion in cash 400 billion at call liabilities 900 billion leveraged exposure 40 billion equity an analysis of the situation published on Seeking Alpha also notes that both Credit Suisse and Deutsche Bank are trading at distressed valuations and further says that Credit Suisse will have to go through a painful restructure The Seeking Alpha director writes that Credit Suisse is trading at 0.23x tangible book and Deutsche Bank is trading at 0.3x tangible book. However, the Seeking Alpha author says that Deutsche Bank is working through the storm via benefits from interest rates. The author adds, investors should avoid Credit Suisse and buy Deutsche Bank. Investors believe that the two financial giants are facing a significant crisis and they don't believe the statements made by the Credit Suisse CEO. Some have criticized the bank's auditing process as they believe Credit Suisse and Deutsche Bank are up to their necks in debt and bad loans. Tell me the real number amount of bad loans outstanding that Credit Suisse has to these hedge funds and family offices like Archegos, the CEO of Wall Street of Wall Street Forma Inst. Jason Barack tweeted on in August because anyone who fully trusts their accounting also believes in unicorns and the tooth fairy at the time of writing the term Credit Suisse is a very popular vertical trend on Twitter on Sunday morning with 46,000 tweets so I certainly remember the 2008 financial crisis and uh, nobody really thought it was a big deal when Bear Stearns went out and then uh, Lehman went out um, and then the next couple years the next several years were just awful so um again you know a defensive posture um you know in your investment portfolio makes a lot of sense right now like i talked about last week um and uh i guess we'll see if uh, if it's nothing maybe nothing probably nothing or if it's uh it's something but um important to tuck that one away as well. And then lastly, and I, I went to Al Jazeera because, you know, they usually don't get, um, you get a little less biased reporting maybe from, you know, third-party uh, other sources besides CNN or Fox or whatever. Uh, so this is uh, kind of an update on the Nord Stream pipeline, which was another big event that happened um, last week. Um, so, uh, this was posted... Uh, I guess on September 29th, Russia says Nord Stream pipeline leaks were in US zone. Moscow's claims come as Sweden reports a fourth leak. Russia's finan- foreign ministry has said that leaks in the Nord Stream pipelines were in a zone controlled by US intelligence services. The RIA Novosti news agency reported on Thursday as a fourth leak was reported. In recent days, European Union member state states have been investigating sudden and unexplained leaks in the gas pipelines under the baltic sea the pipelines link russia to germany and have been at the center of geopolitical tensions as moscow cut gas supplies to europe in suspected retaliation against western sanctions following the ukraine invasion washington has rejected previous insinuations from moscow that it was behind the leaks calling them ridiculous Russia has said suggestions from European officials that Moscow sabotaged the pipelines were predictably stupid. Of a fourth leak detected, the Swedish Coast Guard said on Thursday after three leaks were confirmed earlier this week, there were two leaks on the Swedish side and two leaks on the Danish side. The official added that the two leaks on the Swedish side are close to each other. The Swedish Coast Guard did not say why the latest leak appeared days after the initial breaches. Media reported that the latest leak was detected at the Nord Stream 2 pipeline but the Coast Guard did not confirm this. Sweden had previously reported a leak in the Nord Stream 1 pipeline northeast of Bornholm while Denmark has confirmed a leak on Nord Stream 2 to the southeast of the island and another to the northeast above Nord Stream 1. The vast leaks caused significant bubbling at the surface of the sea several hundred meters wide making it impossible to immediately inspect the structures. All the pipelines operated by a consortium majority owned by russian gas giant gazprom are not currently in operation they both still contain gas russia's fsb security service is investigating the damage to the pipelines as an international terrorism the interfax news agency cited the general prosecutor's office as saying speaking on wednesday swedish prime minister magdalena anderson said it would have taken a large explosive device to cause the damage the United Nations Security Council will meet on Friday to discuss the incident. Uh, so that was just a big piece of news this week. And again, it uh, sort of adds to the geopolitical drama and the chaos in general in the world and certainly makes things much harder in Europe this winter since uh, they, have, they can't get any gas and probably won't you know, ever get any more gas from, from Russia uh, through that route um so they'll have to look to other sources since they're pretty dependent on gas for heating and things of that nature and so uh in thinking about all this news um you know and um perhaps is this bitcoin's time to shine in in the in the the world gone mad as it were and and uh, with the uh, all sorts of financial chaos Here's a few quick reminders on Bitcoin's fundamentals. So again, it's absolutely scarce. There's a 21 million maximum coins that will ever be issued. Transfers are peer to peer without an intermediary. You can send value to anyone, anywhere in the world with a computer and an internet connection. The Bitcoin network operates independently of all legacy financial systems. It is the first digital global payments infrastructure There's no counterparty risk when it's self-custodied, it's trustless, Bitcoin is not controlled by any person or group. It's a hedge against fiat currency, debasement, collapse in the same way that gold is, but doesn't have gold's drawbacks of difficulty to validate, store, transfer, and secure, especially in large amounts. And so my inspirational tweet for this week was uh, from a guy called Stackhodler uh, that I follow on Twitter. And he says, what a week. British pensions bailed out. Great Britain pound, U.S. dollar hit 103, now at 111. Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2 blown up by state actor. Russia annexed four Ukrainian territories. Putin called Western leaders Satanists. Inflation 10% in Germany, 17% in the Netherlands. New lows on, on SPY. Um, Bitcoin holding 19K like a psycho. (laughs) So, like the old Lenin quote says, um, there are weeks in which decades happen, and I think this was one of those weeks. Um, Meanwhile, on Bitcoin Twitter, uh, people are arguing over whether cast iron or stainless steel uh, cooking pans are better. So, (laughs) obviously, uh, the Bitcoin community is not too worried. About um, what's happening um, since they have their a portion of, if not all, of their savings in um, the hardest currency, known demand. So um, is this Bitcoin's time to shine? It could be. Um, you know, one of the differences between what we're seeing now and what we saw in 2008, 2008 uh, financial crisis was really a crisis of the banks. Uh, the banks had blown too much money. They were in threat of uh, going under as all the real estate loans uh, went bad. Stock market tanked. Economy tanked. And so central banks stepped in by printing money to basically recapitalize the banking system. So today, with well, with the exception of Credit Suisse and Deutsche Bank, the banking system is generally healthier. Um, they're more conservative in underwriting real estate loans and that sort of thing. Um, but it's the central banks that are over-levered. And what we talked about in 2008 was who's going to bail out the central banks? Well, there isn't anyone. And so that's what makes this crisis a little bit more concerning and, um, and honestly was the reason why bitcoin was created i mean it was it was literally created during the great financial crisis um, uh, you know in uh, in 2007 2008 and so um the um the concern is you know that uh, who who can bail out the central banks And, and the answer is nobody so the central banks really have you know two choices really, they either print more money um, and um, stoke inflation and devalue their currency um, in order to keep the markets calm Uh, or they continue tightening um, to reduce inflation which will defend the currency, actually strengthens the currency but um, will basically put the economy into into a, a recession uh, or a depression. And and what the Fe- the Central Bank of the United States, the Federal Reserve is doing by raising interest rates and is obviously the dollar is skyrocketing in value relative to other currencies, which is creating all kinds of stress on, on the global financial system because dollars are used everywhere for trade and loans and things like that. And so it becomes much harder when your currency is down 20%, like the Great Britain Pound is, for example, to pay back dollar-based loans because you're, you're having to buy dollars with much weaker, uh, you know, currency that you have in order to, to pay those loans back. So, um, so it's, uh, it's definitely an interesting time. Um, you know, like I talked about last week, as far as portfolio strategy, and it's interesting too. I, 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 um, Follow a lot of people on on Twitter and different Substacks, and the sort of fiat folks are, are like you know uh, you should buy bonds, but not right now you know wait, but they're going to be good. And uh, with the things, the cracks that are we're seeing in in um, in these countries and in these central banks, I just don't feel confident in buying um, any um sovereign debt you know cert- certainly not you know any of the countries that are that are having issues right now but but even the united states uh, i just it's not a low it's 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 a uh, what do they call it uh it's it's uh, it's a uh, return free risk <laughs> it's like not a risk-free return so um because of inflation and, and again because uh, of the money printing which You know, again, the general consensus is most of the central banks are just going to have to, quote, pivot and loosen monetary policy eventually and print money, which is going to continue to drive inflation, whether it's at a low level or a high level, it's going to continue. And therefore, you know, you are going to need to own assets, but the assets that benefit from that are really hard assets, real estate, gold, silver, Bitcoin, um, commodities, um, you know, if I had to invest in stocks, I'd probably be investing in commodity producers, especially since they've they've gotten kind of beaten down here lately with the fears of a recession and with the stock market tanking. Um, but, uh, but a lot of people are just like trying to figure out what trade to do, you know, and, you know, oh, uh, trade, you know, maybe, uh, you know, short, uh, the Great Britain pound but go long on the Mexican peso i just read, I just read one this morning on that and it just seems a little crazy you know um trying to find it, trades and you know maybe it's oh and then i talked to a someone at work the other day and they're like yeah i'm gonna buy real estate in all these markets in the us where people went crazy on airbnb and now the you know they're they're panicking and they're selling because they you know, the recession's coming and interest rates are rising and house prices are dropping. So I'm going to get some deals and, um, maybe it's good to just work and put your savings into something that, you know, is not going to debase like Bitcoin and just relax and not, you know, worry about the next trade, you know, that's kind of my thoughts. But, um, and again, I read a piece this morning out of Morgan Stanley that they're talking about. Uh, you know that they've been obviously it's a bad it was a bad month, it was a bad quarter for the stock market. Um, but they're saying that things probably haven't bottomed, but they will. They will bottom, and at some point, you know, then it'll be a adult swim back into the pool for for everybody in the stock market. And and if if and when the Fed pivots, and they're, supposedly the Fed scheduled the emergency meeting for Monday, uh, there were tweets going around about that on Twitter. Um, so who knows, you know, if they if they do pivot or if they even hint at, you know, hey, maybe we'll slow down the interest rates, maybe we'll stop, you know, whatever, not necessarily going to QE or anything like that, then uh, yeah, the stock market could, could rip higher. Um, but I think the bond market still sells off because, you know, that's not really dealing with inflation. So inflation is going to continue to uh, be a problem. And, um, and I think U S bonds has definitely has some headwinds. Cause I, I think, you know, while a lot of international players are not really buyers right now, um, banks could be, they have a lot of cash. So that could help for a time. But, um, um, there's definitely a lot of trouble out there. And, um, Bringing it back to Bitcoin, I think uh, people that hold Bitcoin in, in some amount um, as a hedge in their portfolio are sleeping pretty well at night, um, given you know the amount of crisis that that we see in the in the world today. So. That's about it. So thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please like and leave a comment. Also, don't forget to subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. You can also follow my substack at bitcoinfortress.substack.com and you can follow me on Twitter and my handle is at Nick Reichert and I will talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.